0: Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Katie Halper. Uh, all things faux-antisemitism crisis that's going on right now, as Jank Kuger called it, the weapon of mass distraction. Yeah. To look away from all the Palestinians being killed. They're really ginning up this idea of like a colossal surge in anti-Semitism in the U.S. on college campuses, and all the people who were anti-Snowflake have now become massive snowflakes.
1: Yes, and then also the people who claim to be so against anti-Semitism are weirdly doing a lot of anti-Semitic things, so there's just a lot of layers there. Yeah. He's perfect person to get into. She also has a new documentary coming out about a Jewish summer camp that sort of explodes some of the mythologies about Jewish ideology, et cetera. So gotcha, so uh,
0: we're going to talk to her in a little bit, and but before we do... Man, do we have some interesting stories for you guys today. (laughs) So we're going to start with something fun. Um, Crystal, we have a Pornhub map. Oh, boy. We have a Pornhub map. And I don't know if people know what this is or not, but every couple of years you get, like, these uh, weird stories that come out about, like, here's the number one porn search in all the various states. This one's a little different. So it's the, the terms that are searched more often in each state when compared to all others. Mm-hmm. So that's what this map is. It's not necessarily the number one search in each state, but it's like this was something that was more popular in this state relative to other states. And there's some wacky stuff, man. There's some <laughs> wacky stuff. I mean, look, there's also some stuff that I think is kind of wholesome. Yeah. So uh, like we were just talking about before the cameras came on in the state of Washington, what's searched more versus other states is sensual sex.
1: I also Which thought, is kind of adorable. Yeah. Right? I also mm-hmm. thought Minnesota if fitting with their like Minnesota nice thing, theirs is tickling.
0: See, I already it. that's weird. I don't think that's like, oh, I think it's like, what is wrong with you?
1: <laughs> I mean, personally, I hate being tickled. Like, it makes me want to kill someone. But
0: yeah. And this is not like the t- it's not like they're just looking for tickling videos. It's right. like somebody getting tickled while being jacked off or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so then yeah, it just I mean. becomes weird. Right. <laughs> tickling is weird enough. But it's like when you're tickling and like, yeah. then, then it's like, what are why do you like this over other things? I
1: mean, I'm just saying <laughs> compared to some of the other things that are out here. Some so, of them are. Oh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead.
0: I, so let's go ahead and dive into some of them. So. Yeah. We'll start. I'll start with my home state, New York. What do we got? I don't even know what this means. It says body swap. (laughs) Is it like some freaky Friday situation where it's like you pretend like you're somebody else? Did or... you
1: watch the Black Mirror episode where it's like in this video game? He's gay, but video, in real life he's yeah, not. Yeah, it's like him and his best friend. And
0: then they tried it in real life and they were like, I don't like this. Yeah, I'm
1: not into this. But yeah. the one dude, the the dude who's like the main character decides at the end of it, like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going back to my wife at the end. But the one who is, he's friends with is like, oh, I'm all in. I love this. This is amazing. He's the one who got to pretend to be the woman in the yes. sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. In the... So maybe it's something like that. That.
0: But that's so weird. That's such a weird <laughs> thing to search for. So your home state.
1: Yes, Virginia smoking, is smoking, which I assume we had a different interpretation of this. I was thinking it's like smoking hot X, Y, Z. No, no, you were no. Your mind is not like Actual smoking fetish.
0: You guys, what you're seeing here is the difference between the, the female perspective and the male perspective. And I'm sure all the men out there watching this had the exact same reaction I did when they hear smoking. No, it is a fetish involving smoking. It's like some woman smoking while sucking somebody off or smoking while jacking somebody off like, or smoking while getting fucked. Like, it's, not just, it's not just like smoking hot babe. It's not like some 1928, <laughs> like, Jay. gosh golly, Jay Willikers, I want to see a smoking hot babe, see? Like, it's not that. <laughs> it's, okay. it's always weird. Whatever you think, it's always the weirdest version of what you're seeing.
1: Okay. Uh, Texas, creamy.
0: So I put that in like the middle category in terms of grossness. Cause it's like, it's, it's sort of just like cream pie type stuff, which is probably in the top 10 of, of porn searches. Like okay. creamy is just like, they want to see people nutting at people. Some you know what of I mean? These,
1: some of these were very specific, like California, Asian stepmom. very specific, very specific. Florida was weird. It just is fantasy. That's very vague. Very unoriginal. You
0: know, that one I actually put more in the wholesome category. Yeah. Cause it's like some, some lonely old dude who's single who's like, I wish I had a fantasy encounter. <laughs> fantasy pornography they type in like that's that's when i see that another really wholesome one in my opinion pennsylvania big boobies, big
1: boobies. <laughs> Kentucky. there's a lot of boobies in here kentucky bouncing boobies
0: like very kentucky that's such a very kentucky answer
1: yeah oh having lived in kentucky it's the perfect kentucky answer it makes all the sense in the world um you've got a new jersey turkish
0: Okay. Is there like a big Turkish community or is um, there just like a big Turkish fetish or it, something? Or? It does
1: seem like, um, you know, in some of the states, the demographic Mm-hmm. Uh, that, like, the sort of like a minority demographic group apparently looms large in fantasy Asian stepmom in California. There is a large Asian population there. New Mexico is Native there American. How big is
0: the Asian population? Oh, it's,
1: it's pretty large. Oh, it's large? Yeah, okay. So very significant, especially in and around San Francisco. Yeah. There's... And
0: New Mexico is Native American. But the yeah. question is is it like white people searching Native American or is it Native Americans searching Native American? I don't, I don't know. See, I would venture to guess it's it's oh, white, people. white people. Yeah. But by the same token, in Louisiana, big black dick is what they have. <laughs> And that's like, who's typing that shit in? A lot of people. Definitely I, okay. a lot of people. <laughs> but it's probably some old white dude with a tiny ass dick who's like, well, that was I a- want to see a big black penis. By hmm. the
1: way, in Ohio, small dick. Small dick was the search. I feel like there was another um, state that, that also had something like small dick as a search. Utah, this is, come on, Utah.
0: Mormon? That's what you're searching? Oh, come on. Really? Oh, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. That's like not... <laughs> That's not even wholesome. It doesn't reach the bar of wholesome. It's just like, what are you doing? That's what you type in when you want to jack off is Mormon. Mormon.
1: Also, I found this interesting. Mississippi, um, you know, obviously very conservative state, but their thing is furry. Oh, I love it. No, it's just furry. It's what only furry. An F and something. Blue. No,
0: that's part of Alabama. Oh, that's part. And I think Alabama's is fucking myself. <laughs>
1: okay, which but yeah, I don't get that either. Mississippi It's furry. Well, furry curious so over th- there. There
0: is a uh, you know, there's something here about the more like repressed. The more taboo it have is? the more freaky things. You know you what think I mean? So? I do. I think general Arkansas is ass to mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Georgia
1: is ebony solo. South Carolina high heels.
0: High heels? Ma- that makes
1: me think of Nikki Haley and all her talk about her fucking heels.
0: Oh, no. You think there's a connection? <laughs> I don't no, know. There can- no, came no, no, to mind. No, no, I don't think
1: there's a connection. No. Missouri is perplexing. Transforma- oh, Transformation. What does that mean?
0: Missouri is transform. Oh, maybe is that like a like a is that like way the- to say trans porn that's like a, a new term, a way to get to it without just directly typing what it in? What came
1: to mind for me was more this like body swap thing. Like maybe those
0: were like, I don't know, similar. man. Kansas is weird with close up. That's gross. Wisconsin swingers, swingers in Wisconsin. That makes sense. There should be swingers in Wisconsin. It's cold (laughs) as fuck. I I thought the same thing when I saw Maine. Yeah, they have thruple in there, which
1: thruple, thruple, thruple. Yeah. Is
0: how is that? Is that like a threesome? Yeah.
1: That was. uh, That became that term surged in popular consciousness with that congresswoman member who was forced to resign and she was in a thruple relationship with. Okay. I don't remember, a staffer and her boyfriend or something like that was a thing.
0: Yeah, but anyway, it's cold there. And so you think like, man, I want body heat. You know what <laughs> I mean? Give me, give me two people here. Um, North true. Dakota, I, apparently it's all 78-year-olds there because they type in loud, wet, loud sex. wet
1: sex. South Dakota shower sex.
0: Montana getting freaky with BDSM.
1: Wyoming goth.
0: Wyoming goth. First of all, let's just be clear. That could literally be like two searches for goth because Wyoming has seven it has people in it. three people
1: in it. Right, so that's that, true.
0: Nebraska is rub. That's kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, very generic.
0: Iowa know. is cartoon porn. If there's anything <laughs> they like, it's, uh, it's corn and cartoon porn. <laughs> that's what they're all about in Iowa. So let me ask you, what is the um, most wholesome one? And then what's the weirdest one to you?
1: Most wholesome one. Hmm. I mean- your choice of sensual sex that's very that's very like you know it's not just like some particular fetish or whatever it's like that's nice I think it'd be hard you'd be hard pressed to find something more wholesome than sensual sex I also have to say like West Virginia nip slip that's also kind of like very mild you know
0: very mild yeah but my answer for the most wholesome yeah is without a doubt North Carolina bubble butt (laughs) That's tried and true, standard. You're just Deeply, off your promises, deeply American. <laughs> that's, that's the correct search, is my point. That's accurate. Like not, that's, well, you
1: may think it's the correct search, but it's not necessarily wholesome.
0: That is wholesome. Okay. It's like big bouncing boobies or something. Like, that's, that's, uh, that's a standard. Yeah. Like, anybody can do that and be like happy with the results. So, okay. But if you type in fucking furry <laughs> or you type in some weird shit.
1: With this one, oh, Tennessee, I didn't see giantess. That's funny. I might
0: put that for my weirdest. That is strange. I might put that for my weirdest. Um,
1: I, I'm not trying to be biased here, but the fact that in Utah, the number one search is Mormon it is very weird to me. Like, that's not— yeah. that's, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that one. Also, in Hawaii, the number one search is Hawaiian. Really? Alaska, yeah. Alaska sex doll kind of makes sense since you're, like, up there isolated— 20 in, hours of darkness.
0: Yeah, that does sound right, absolutely that kinda, miserable. It
1: kind of lands.
0: <laughs> uh, illo- shout out to Illinois, ass eating, getting freaky deaky over there <laughs> in Illinois. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm going for my weirdest. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to go um, maybe actually DC because it's DC? big ass cop. Ooh. Which actually leads me to believe maybe there was a specific video mm. that people were searching for, oh, like a mega viral individual viral porn in video or something like that. Could be. Uh, but anyway, I, I think we can wrap it up on that. No, I'm going to stick with giant tests or my weirdest.
1: Giant tests? I don't
0: even really know what that means. Like, what do you want to have sex with a, like, a giant?
1: The one, like I said, the one that's throwing me for the loop the most is Mormon in Utah.
0: That is bizarre. Like, it's just bizarre.
1: Yeah. Like you're, I mean, this is what's around you. Like huge Mormon population and you're just searching what's, what's there.
0: And there's the nothing even time. dirty about... There's nothing dirty. <laughs> it's like typing in Christian into a porn site. It's like <laughs> are you trying to read the Bible or are you trying to whack off? Like what's going on here? Don't you have any other words? Like, uh, don't you have any other words? Christian flashing, <laughs> Christian whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's not just Christian.
1: Oh, uh, we, oh, one other thing they point out in this article before we move on, because this was heartening to me, is apparently there's been a huge surge in interest in granny related porn mm-hmm. and gilfs, grannies I'd like to fuck. So as I'm, you know, aging, I appreciate you are seeing...
0: nowhere near granny level. What are you talking well, about? I'll be there
1: one day. Won't be that far in off. like
0: a decade. <laughs> That's I still so far appreciate away. <laughs> the
1: interest in mature content.
0: And okay, and I'll end on this here. So they have the top twenty countries by traffic for Pornhub. Yeah. So obviously the U.S. is number well, one is by a mile and a half. Water. We're straight like Michael Jordaning everybody else on this mm-hmm. map. We're like more than double what anybody else it, it is watching on Pornhub. Uh, but the number two country is the Philippines. Huh. Huh. Is right. That's very bizarre. I don't. I don't know what the population size of the Philippines is. But
1: it can also just be like where this site took off versus other sites. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I would read too much into the country.
0: But, you know, stats. Pornhub at this point is like the McDonald's of of porn. You know what I mean? Like it's the go to like there's yeah, a McDonald's there on every corner
1: sites in other countries that are equally popular. We just don't know about.
0: Well, anyway, so it's United States, Philippines, France, Mexico, UK, okay. Japan. Um, and those are, those are like the top few right there. But anyway, there you have it. Uh, Pornhub released more of these. I would like to see, because it would be funny to see, the actual list of the number one search in each state, which mm. I'm sure exists. I know they released one like five years ago or something yeah. like that.
1: Because these are just compared to the other right. states. Right. Relative to other states,
0: out. this state is into to Mouth or whatever. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so anyway, enjoy that, guys. All right. Uh, <laughs> now let's uh, switch gears here and get to something a little more serious. So Slightly um, more serious. No, this is more serious for sure. Or I this... know, I'm
1: being sarcastic. Okay,
0: gotcha. Yeah. We, I mean, we could bring up Ass to Mouth in the context of this conversation too if you want, but that'd just be a little <laughs> weird. Because <laughs> it's about Norman Finkelstein. So <laughs> so Norman Finkelstein and Alan Dershowitz got into uh, a debate on Piers Morgan's show. Of course, you all know Alan Dershowitz, known as one of Epstein's top clients, allegedly. Don't sue me, Alan. Um, you know, there was the whole thing around him and what was her name? Virginia something?
1: Virginia Gouffray.
0: Yeah, was that the one who said...
1: I don't remember the details. I just know that he was at the house. There was... Yes.
0: Right. So anyway, um, he's uh, a weird guy, let's say. Weird guy, appears on Fox News from time to time. Big, massive defender of Israel. Norman Finkelstein, of course, is not, one might say. Uh, so they went on Piers Morgan's show. They had a debate. And uh, Chris and I will talk more about it after the fact, but I just want to show you the portion of the debate. Go watch the whole thing, but I want to show you the portion of the debate where Norman Finkelstein really drops an elbow from the sky. Watch this, guys. Mm-hmm.
2: That's now, wrong. I'm going to make one remark now, which you will find perhaps controversial, or unacceptable peers, however, I hope you'll allow me to say it, and then you can engage it, as you said, in a civil fashion. You say that the actions of Hamas have disqualified it from any participation in a peaceful settlement. Now, I am not going to make any brief for Hamas. It's for the people of Palestine to decide who should be their leaders, who should represent them. But I do have to ask you, peers, and I respect you, so I'm asking you this as a matter of not rhetoric, but one intelligent person to another. I'm asking a simple question. If it's the case that the actions of Hamas on October 7th disqualify it from being party to a peaceful settlement. Roughly 1,200 people were killed, about 30 of them being children. Why is it not then also the case that the actions of the state of Israel since October 7th, the deliberate, the deliberate war of genocide against the people of Gaza, which has left about 15,000 people dead, not 1,200, 15,000, and has left dead not 30 children, but has left dead about 7,000 children. And as we speak now, a 7,000 more children are threatened with death because of starvation. I ask you, as a logical proposition, Why isn't the state of Israel disqualified from any final settlement of the question? And one last thing, because you ask, what do I believe? I will tell you what I believe. I believe, number one, immediately after the war comes to an end and the blockade of Gaza, that cruel, inhuman blockade of Gaza, that war crime in gaza that crime against humanity the blockade of gaza it has to be lifted but once there's a ceasefire and once that inhuman blockade of gaza is lifted once the walls of that concentration camp come tumbling down then i see two steps step number one There have to be war crimes prosecutions. I have no problem in saying on both sides, but there must be accountability. You cannot get away with executing a war of genocide in broad daylight and then continue. And number two, there has to be a settlement On the basis of international law
0: now uh, in the past i've actually had issues with how norman finkelstein approached this because i think in the immediate wake of october 7th he was way too quick to sort of hop on the bandwagon of like viva la resistance uh, in regards to hamas Mm -hmm. he since sort of backed off that a little bit
1: yeah i think he would acknowledge that he
0: would acknowledge that and he just said do war crimes on both sides you know war crimes investigations on both sides which is the exact correct answer so I, i had issues with him early on but i have to say in this debate I think he absolutely dog walked Alan Dershowitz because Alan Dershowitz, um, he's got all the standard arguments, right? Like you hear this point all the time where it's like, well, in uh, 1948 and in 1967 and in 2000 and in 2001, Israel proposed peace and the Palestinians said no. So that's 100 percent on the Palestinians. And Dershowitz has the exact correct response to that, which is, well, first of all, what's that? Finkelstein. I'm sorry. Yeah. Finkelstein has the exact right response to that, which is hold on now. Every year at the U.N., they propose A two-state solution, peace deal along the 1967 borders, and Israel has rejected it, literally hundreds of times yeah so yeah they rejected in the direct negotiations because if you look at the terms of those negotiations there were huge problems with it they can't control their own airspace they're basically living in like little bantu stands which was the like two-state solution for south africa at the time where they're in these like little ghettos i mean they don't control uh, enough of the west bank it's like little portions uh, section a b c or whatever there's all these issues with it yeah so the direct negotiations didn't work out because the terms were pretty shit but they tried to do it through the UN o- hundreds of times, and uh, Israel was the one who rejected it. So it's just it's just a biased view of history that Dershowitz gives. And then I'll get to more in a second. I'm going to let you weigh in. Um, but what Dershowitz says about the intentions of Israel really drives me crazy as well.
2: Yeah.
1: So and Pierce actually goes on to make a good point with regard to this whole idea of partner for peace. So there's no partner for peace on the Palestinian side. The you know ambassador to the UK coming out and saying absolutely no, we don't want a two state solution. Netanyahu himself has been overtly, and as a matter of principle, and as a matter of his stated doctrine, opposed to a two-state solution for literally decades. I mean, he was a huge opponent of Oslo and all of that process. He was, you know, one of the people who were cheering on the the end of that, who have talked about how they want to build up Hamas to in order to make sure that there's never any possibility of a Palestinian state. But even with the horrors and the regime of terror. That has been inflicted on the Palestinians by uh, the Netanyahu government, even with the atrocities and war crimes that are committed by Hamas on October 7th. The messy reality is that if you believe in diplomacy at all, you have to acknowledge that it's going to sometimes involve negotiations and settlements and ceasefires with very unsavory and at times outright evil characters. You know, if you're going to have a settlement between Russia and Ukraine, if you're going to have a settlement with North Korea, if you're going to deal with whoever's in charge in Iran, if you're going to deal with the Netanyahu government, that's what you're signing up for. So in a sense, I actually take the opposite view of, you know, I... Hamas just came out actually today and said that they were open to recognizing Israel and um, adhering to the Palestinian Liberation Organization's stance on Israel, which is a step in the direction of saying, hey, we want to be part of some process. Are they legit? Are they under pressure? Is this some game? P- very possible. Right. We can't say. But if you are in favor of any type of diplomacy ever in world relations, you have to accept that you're going to be dealing with regimes which are not great.
0: And uh, you know the point that Dershowitz makes with which Finkelstein slaps down perfectly is the actually the same point that Bernie makes Dershowitz and Bernie make the same point here when they're like, "Look, you can't have a, a peace deal or a ceasefire with Hamas because they're very clearly genocidal and they want to wipe out the all all the israelis that's what they say, but Finkelstein is right to point out, well, why is it that like the hard line statements coming out of Hamas count to define Hamas right but when you have the, lead, the top officials of the Likud party and the leaders in the Israeli government saying equally genocidal things, equally being not in favor of peace. And they, by the way, have all the power in the situation. So I would argue, if anything, that means even more. But why does it not count in that scenario? Why, right. don't, why aren't you saying, hey, if Hamas has to go, okay, Netanyahu and Likud have to go. You need to, Who was the last Israeli prime minister who was sincerely in favor of a Palestinian state? Ehud Barak? Back over a decade ago? Like, what are we talking about here? Right. So, like, they're not, they don't hold up the same standards for both sides. And it gets to what Dershowitz, just to to finish this point, um, (laughs) Dershowitz says this too. And I think Bernie believes this in some sense as well, that, well, look, Israel, yeah, they kill civilians, but they don't mean to kill civilians. They just happen to kill civilians. And if you believe that, you are putting narrative and ideology over objective empirical reality because the fact of the matter is even if you take israel's own numbers which you shouldn't because they're biased they say oh we killed 61 percent innocent civilians hamas killed 45 percent innocent civilians and like i said the israeli numbers aren't even true because they count every military age male as a combatant right. which is just factually wrong when you look at the euro med monitor numbers for example they have it much closer to 95 percent of the yeah. people being killed are innocent civilians. So you tell me, oh, are you really? Is it really a hunt for Hamas? If you're doing a siege of all of Gaza and starving 2.3 million people, right. by the way, how big is Hamas? About 30,000 people, right? And 2.3 million don't have food, fuel, water. They're drinking seawater to survive. No anesthesia when they uh, undergo surgery, so they're in excruciating pain. They're they're uh, giant lines outside waiting for flour from the UN, and they run out too quickly. And people are going days without eating. On what planet is it hunt for Hamas? On right. what planet is it hunt for hunt for Hamas when you're bombing marketplaces and hospitals and schools and UN buildings and every kind of civilian infrastructure you can possibly imagine? When you're doing controlled demolitions of schools in the north, when you plant an Israeli flag in the middle of Gaza city, and people are all, this, everybody's playing professionally stupid, yeah. like, well, gosh golly, what does this mean? Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what it means. Right. I wonder when you plant an Israeli flag every 30 feet in north Gaza, what does that mean?
1: All you have to look at is a civilian death toll to know that it's complete bullshit, the idea that they're not intentionally killing civilians. And if that's not confirmation for you enough, we've now had multiple news outlets confirm that they've focused on what they call these power targets and also private residences disproportionately during this conflict, not because they think that's where Hamas is and their precision-guided hunt for Hamas. It's because they want to create a, quote, shock in the civilian population, in the farcical, I mean, I really think it's just out of retribution, but their cloaking of a justification is we want the civilian population to be shocked and turn on Hamas. Well, that has literally never worked in history. It didn't work when the Germans were bombing London, it didn't work when we were bombing Dresden, it didn't work when the Russians were bombing Kyiv, and it's not working here. It has literally never worked in history that bombing a civilian population and inflicting collective punishment on them leads to them turning on the, uh, the entity in power in their state or in their area. So they're having the polar opposite impact. They are creating a much more fertile ground and much greater support for Hamas and armed violent resistance. You know, there was a poll that just came out that had been taken leading up to October 7th in Gaza. Now, it's, of course, now impossible to poll Gaza to really know what is going on there. But we have indications in the West Bank that support for Hamas has absolutely surged. Leading up to October 7th, Hamas was not popular. People are disgusted with Hamas because of basic governance failures, the fact that there was little food. Now, part of that, obviously, is because of the Israeli blockade. But people in Gaza were placing a lot of the blame on Hamas. They thought they were very corrupt. They thought that they weren't listening or responsive at all to people. In a theoretical presidential campaign between Mahmoud Abbas, head of the PA, the leader of Hamas, and Marwan Barghoudi, who is an imprisoned activist. Barghouti won overwhelmingly. Hamas got a relatively small proportion of the vote. And by the way, when we talk about partners for peace, even putting aside the two governments, which population is more interested in peace? Well, guess what? A majority of Gazans wanted a two-state solution. It has been a long time since a majority of Israeli Jews wanted a two-state solution. Support for that is somewhere around 30% right now. It is a minority, and that's where their po- why their politics look like they do. That's why they elect Benjamin Netanyahu and his like coalition of psychos. So. The whole narrative and framing of who can be a partner for peace, who's actually interested in peace, Who's targeting civilians and who's not has been completely, I mean, it's just it's just a fairy tale the way that the U.S. tells it.
0: And look, I got to go a step further, too, because to the idea, I actually kind of I kind of get triggered when you hear this this talk where people say, like, oh, it doesn't work to bomb civilians. So I don't care. Even if it did work, I don't care. Of course. As a matter of moral principle, you shouldn't bomb civilians. And what I would say to people who disagree with that is imagine if it was your family. Imagine if it was you. My mom, when I was a kid, voted for George W. Bush. Then George W. Bush did an illegal and offensive war in Iraq. Should Osama bin Laden have the right to murder my mom because she cast a vote for George W. Bush? This is the logic that we're talking about here. That's so even bin if it, Laden logic. Even if it quote unquote worked to bomb civilians, you don't kill women and children and and civilian men. You just don't do it. You have to draw a clean red line. Mm-hmm. And when people like to bring up, well, you know, the allies did it in World War Two. It's like, and then we had the Nuremberg tribunals. Well, and then we created m- yeah. a more rigorous system of international law to say, hey, guys, we Let's were all just fucking psycho again. up to this point in history. <laughs> Let's never do that again.
1: It's also, you know, it does show the problems that arise when you fail to accurately grapple with history. Because since we never grappled with the fact that that was horrible and those were war crimes and atrocities, and we shouldn't have done that since we didn't grapple with that, then it allows people to use that as an example here as some sort of a justification oh, we're fighting Nazis. It's just like when we were bombing Dresden, it's the same thing, it's what we have to do. So there's a a failure of historical analysis here as well. But um, yeah, I mean, one last thing on the Dershowitz- Finkelstein rivalry. I don't know if people know, they've got a long history. history that goes back. So the fact that they were put up against each other head to head and both agreed to it is pretty remarkable. Um, Norm had accused Dershowitz back in the early 2000s of plagiarism. Dershowitz intervened and basically pushed Norm out of his tenured position at a university. So there's there's a lot of bad blood going back decades with these two guys. Uh, So good on Piers Morgan to bring them together and have them hash out their views on this uh, particular issue head to head.
0: I'm on the side of the one that wasn't friends with Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) Just my thought. Allegedly. So anyway, go ahead and introduce our guest.
1: All right. So we've got Katie Halper, and she's, of course, host of the Katie Halper Show and co-host of the Useful Idiots podcast to talk about anti-Semitism, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Let's get to it. Katie Halper, lovely to see you as always. Hi, you guys, too. Yeah, of course. So um, let's go ahead and start with, in addition to your many other accolades, you are now also a filmmaker. You have a film called kami Camp coming out next week. Let's take a look at a little bit of that.
3: This is Camp Kinderland. I went to Camp Kinderland, and so did my mom and my grandmother. I love Camp Kinderland. But not everyone does. For some people, it's...
2: A politically left-wing Jewish summer camp with communist roots. They walk in there as young skulls full of mush, and the liberal establishments at these places bend and shape their mind. One of the very, very special things that camp is known for is for its...
0: Progressive propaganda agenda. This is the sun um which is, as you can see is a peace sign stop indoctrinating my children do you think as kids you can make a difference if you just stop glittering going to anti-war demonstrations with your parents in my school we saved an orangutan get your kids out of this indoctrination we
1: love camp um so katie tell us a little bit about why you wanted to make the film and how it fits into this moment and this question about jewish identity Sure. Yeah.
3: So as uh, the trailer indicates, I did go to that camp and work at that camp as did my mother and uncle and grandmother. And I think it's actually really an important um, example of history because the camp was founded in 1923 and still exists, but it speaks to a Jewish history and culture an identity that is kind of antithetical to APAC and the ADL, which is a Jewish identity that is very much against imperialism, racism, ethno-nationalism. It's the best of the Jewish secular progressive tradition, which really exists but does not have the kind of funding or lobbying arm provided by APAC and the ADL. So it's kind of invisibilized, and I think things are changing now with the organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, being at the forefront of many of the um, pro-Palestine protests. I think that is helping to shape or change the way that people understand Jewish identity in this country, and that it's not just ADL and APAC, But this is the same tradition that my camp comes from and continues to exist in and the same culture that the camp uh, provides. And in fact, a lot of the people I'll see at these pro-Palestine protests are from camp, are
1: from my camp. And is Zionism like the key sort of ideological split between these two strains of Jewish identity or are there other pieces as well?
3: I guess there are other pieces, but that's an interesting question because what people don't talk about is that there is a long history of Jewish non-Zionism and also Jewish anti-Zionism. I mean, there was a big debate over whether Zionism was a uh, a, a smart and moral uh, solution to anti-Semitism. And in fact, a lot of Jews thought it would create more anti-Semitism because it would uh, establish this idea that Jews weren't uh, safe in their homeland or would establish this idea that Jews were going to be dually loyal or that Israel was going to be a part of their defin uh, their identity, and what does that mean for all these Jews living in other countries? Other Jews just thought it was kind of ridiculous. Other Jews, you know, there is a left left this leftist tradition that my camp exists in. They were very against it because they wanted to work to fight against uh, anti-Semitism, and they saw the project as uh, internationalism and solidarity and socialism. So. Uh, that's one of the big areas, but I think generally, I mean, there there is this phenomenon of PEP, progressive except for Palestine, mm-hmm. and that exists. But I think also you have some Jews who are just more conservative. Those Jews, I'm, I'm talking about politically, not religiously. Those Jews are going to be more conservative on issues ranging from Israel to other foreign policy to domestic sometimes. Um, there's also religious Jews who oppose Zionism. Uh, for some for religious reasons, because the Messiah is supposed to come back before Jews move back to Israel. Um, and there are Jews in Israel who are anti-Zionists. And there are religious Jews in Israel who are anti-Zionists. And the Jews who used to live in Israel uh, before the founding of the state of Israel, so they lived in Palestine, they were Jewish, but they were Palestinian. Uh, they were Jewish, but they were, you know, they were mostly Sephardic. A lot of them were Sephardic. And they had been there for a long time and they were part of the society. And th- this is another myth that Jews and Muslims have always fought against each other. They've never lived in harmony. They did live in harmony in Palestine. And they, some of those Jews were anti zionists because they didn't want the Jewish influx to change the population of Palestine and turn into another country with, uh, with a Jewish uh, majority, which is what, of course, Zionism did very intentionally. So-
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you. So Zionism is, of course, the belief in an official Jewish state. Do you view Zionism as more of an ethno state or a theocracy or both of those things?
3: It's a bit of a combination. Uh, And of course, you know, Zionism means different things for different people. For some people, it means a state where Jews are safe, which I think that's a great idea. I think it would be a great idea to have a state like dedicated to being a safe haven for all persecuted people. But but again, that's a nice idea. That's not what Zionism was. Zionism was an ethno-colonialism, ethno-colonialist uh, project. And we know that because the Zionists themselves called themselves colonists and colonizers. And an early Zionist bank was the colonial bank. I mean, th- they weren't trying to hide it. There's this... Uh, speech called The Iron Wall by Jabotinsky, who is an early Zionist, who speaks very openly about how there's going to be resistance and resentment among the Arabs, I think he calls them Arabs, not Palestinians, Uh, that that natives always resist colonizers. I mean, this wasn't even hidden. Uh, Obviously, over time, it's become hidden, because it's not good PR, because the values of today are different than the values of early, uh, right before the founding of Israel. But uh, it's very clear to anyone who has studied the history, lots of their organizations had the word colonial in in the title.
1: Um, I wonder what you made of Biden's recent comments that, quote, without Israel, Jews wouldn't be safe anywhere.
3: (laughs) I mean, this is the irony, is that you have all these people and organizations framing every single statement by anyone who defends the human rights of Palestinians as um, perpetuating anti-Semitic tropes, if not being outright anti-Semitic, right? Then you have Zo- then you have Joe Biden saying something that indicates that Americans, Jews, are not safe. But also, if you want to talk about anti-Semitic tropes, I mean, that totally leans into the dual loyalty trope, which is that Americans need to be loyal to Israel because Israel is the country that's going to protect them. And this upset a lot of Jews. I mean, a lot of people in general, rightly, uh, because it was such an offensive statement to make. And again, if I'm if I'm not Jewish, right? And I'm I hear this, and I'm don't really understand what's going on. I'm going to think, oh, I guess Jews are ultimately loyal to Israel because Israel's the country keeping them safe. Without Israel, they wouldn't be safe. So yeah, they're going to be loyal primarily to Israel. And again, these people don't care about anti-Semitism because if they cared about anti-Semitism, they wouldn't be saying things that perpetuate anti-Semitism. Another example of this is when people conflate. Uh, anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism, which is a really dangerous conflation. And we see it's now an official one, right? Because Congress passed this resolution clearly stating that anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism. You even had Jerry Nadler getting up and speaking out against that part. Of course, he voted present, not against it because he's a coward. But uh, this is a very, first of all, inaccurate. As I said, there's a long history of anti-Zionist Jewishness and Jewry. But again, it really does create an anti-Semitic stereotype because the idea that all Jews are a monolith and all Jews support the state of Israel once again leans into this idea of dual loyalty. And the irony is that there are two groups of people who use the word Jew and Zionist interchangeably. Anti-Semites who talk about the Zionist this, the Jewish this, the Jew, the Zionist, they use them as the same word mm-hmm. and then uh, organizations like the adl and apac and israel Mm. and maybe there's something wrong when your framing is the same as the framing of overt raging anti-semites
0: yeah i mean the whole uh, it i always bring up this when there's the conflation with zionism and judaism um and oh if you're anti zionist you're anti-semitic it's like saying you're islamophobic if you're against the islamic theocracy of saudi arabia
3: And it's like, not true at all. Like
0: everybody criticizes it, yeah. Right, that's Um, a perfect analogy.
3: And in terms of your, sorry, your question about the ethnostate versus theocracy, it is kind of a combination. And that's why their definition of what makes a Jew is both like genetic and based on your, uh, you know, I think having three, uh, I can't remember the number, I should look it up, but it is based on your heritage. Uh, I think having one grandparent is sufficient. I don't remember, but it's also based on conversion. Right. So, and then you become Jewish, and that it speaks to kind of the the struggle of Zionism or the attempt of Zionism to turn Jewish identity into a nation, a, a nationality, and create a nation state out of Jews. And and you know you can't get ma- they don't recognize uh, same sex marriage in Israel. They love to pink wash, right? But you yep. can't get married if you're if you're in a same sex relationship. You can't even get married by um, a Reform rabbi. You need an Orthodox rabbi. So some people, if they don't want an Orthodox ma- rabbi marrying them. They'll go to, like, Rome or Cyprus, get married, and then come back, which is funny. I didn't know that. Well, and there's
0: yeah. also interreligious marriage is also not allowed. But, uh, yeah, let you me can't am-
3: get any rights because they don't want anyone to get rights the, Ju- the rights that Jews have.
0: Let me ask you this. I'm sort of fascinated by the contradictions of liberal Zionism, and I've see- I see this manifesting a lot today in Bernie, Bernie Sanders Mm. will, you know, he'll come out and be like, we're not, let's not give that extra $10 billion to Israel because what Netanyahu is doing is wrong. And then in the next breath, he comes out and says, you can never have a ceasefire or peace deal with Hamas. Because they're right. they're all, oh so evil. So talk to me about liberal Zionism, because I view it as this very weird, internally contradictory thing. Right. Where even the people who are liberal Zionists, like J Street, for example, J Street initially came out and said, "Anybody who supports a ceasefire, we're going to oppose them." Yeah, it's like, well, I thought you guys were supposed to be the you know the the left wing version all, yeah. of APAC people, yeah, but they're not. They just acted like APAC when push came to shove. So what do you think about this?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, I think that liberal Zionism is basically no longer tenable, even as an ideal. I mean, you have to deal with facts on the ground. Israel has made it so there can't really be a two-state solution because the settlements that they've created. Um, I think a one-state solution is ideal anyway, one state with equal rights. But, you know, what's interesting about Bernie's position, and I'm glad he's trying to condition aid, but what's interesting about his position is even if you are a liberal Zionist, right? Let's say you really... um, believe that Israel should not end the occupation. Of course, that's what Israel should do. If they want to stop violence, they should end the occupation. But let's say you want, you still believe in a two-state solution, right? Like Bernie. This idea of what is Israel supposed to do? You can't have a ceasefire because what is Israel supposed to do when Hamas has vowed to make more October 7th? And by the way, Hamas means, because they said this in that interview where they talked about this, and people keep quoting this, that they're going to be many more October 7th. They said they didn't plan to target civilians. And obviously, when you're trying to um get prison, you know, swap captives, you want people to be alive. And we still don't know who did what on October 7th. I have a feeling a lot of the the worst atrocities were committed by people who were not very uh who are not like disciplined members of Hamas or not higher-ups of Hamas. But we don't know. But either way, they're saying that. You know, October 7th for them would mean, I think, attacks on combatants, which is legally protected. They are entitled to do that because they are an occupied people and they have the right to resist their occupation under international law. Now that doesn't include killing civilians, it means uh, comp- killing combatants. But if you want Israel to stay the way it is, which I don't, but if you believe in the occupation What is Israel supposed to do? Well, they could just listen to their own intelligence, which told them that there was going to be an attack. They could just be there at the border. And if they really want to fight Hamas, which we all know they don't, they want to actually engage in ethnic cleansing. There's a right-wing newspaper, hardly critical of Netanyahu, which came out with an article about how Netanyahu wants to uh, thin out the population of Gaza. And he's actually appointed Ronald Dermer, former ambassador, to uh, be in charge of that. He's tasked him with that. Uh, lovely project. But that's the thing. They could do that. So I don't know why Bernie doesn't realize you can have a unilateral ceasefire, because I think he realizes it's pretty disgusting what Israel is doing in killing civilians. He should just call for a ceasefire. And if he doesn't think that Israel should stop the occupation today, which it should, uh, or other people don't think that, then fine. You respond to something the way other people more moral armies respond to something, and you would wait at the border, or you would fight Hamas as they try to come over. It's not brain, uh, it's not rocket science. But people like to pretend that this is the only way that you can fight um, attacks on your country. The only way you can keep the country safe is by what? Just carpet bombing, killing all these civilians. How do they think that makes people view Israel? Mo- Hamas is like founded, or Hamas's leaderships are are orphans or people who have seen awful violence perpetuated against their family members. I mean, do they really think that people are going to grow up and this isn't going to create more radicalized people? Of course. And and terrorism that's much more violent, honestly, than Hamas. I mean, people like to say Hamas is ISIS. Yeah, ISIS would not have released prisoners, released captives, for humanitarian reasons without getting anything in return. I mean, that's ridiculous. They're saying that because they don't want to actually... Uh, engage in an exchange because they would rather kill and 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 ethnically cleanse Gaza.
1: I thought... So um, it's, it's
3: ridiculous, yeah.
1: I think it was Eric Levitz who had a good piece sort of tackling this, like, liberal Zionist position and saying, listen, you may want there to be this, like, ethical war targeted against Hamas militants on the table. That's not on the table. That's not on the table. It's never going to be on the table so long as you have... You know, Netanyahu and also a whole host of other Israeli potential politicians um, running the show. And as long as you have, you know, frankly, the Israeli population, uh, there was that poll that came out that showed some 60 percent of Jewish Israelis who said the IDF isn't being brutal enough. Yeah. So you're like little bespoke targeted, pinpoint, special operations, bin Laden-style raid type of military operation isn't happening. It has never been happening. It has never been possible for it to happen. So let's deal in the reality of the ethnic cleansing on its way to genocide that's actually unfolding. Right.
3: And I mean, lo- we just had a new letter uh, signed by dozens of experts in genocide saying it, that there is genocide already that is unfolding. Ilan Pape, the historian, has said that just the siege itself of Gaza is a form of genocide. Um, you know, they put Gaza on a diet. That's what these people like to say. Uh, they restrict the calories. All of the stuff happened when there wasn't uh, p- pre-October 7th. But yeah, I think that, and again, I want to make it clear that Israel, the only thing Israel has the right to do is end the occupation. But I was just trying to point out that even within the liberal Zionist framework of uh, maintaining the state of Israel as is right now, which is a contradiction, you can't have a state that's a Jewish state and a democracy. Uh, There are ways that you could be combating Hamas without targeting the civilian population. Uh, But the PR, they have such a good Hasbara, which means explanation, but it basically means PR. They have such a good Hasbara, propaganda, thank you, yeah. They have such a good uh, Hasbara um, uh, team. I mean, it's getting a little ridiculous. Like, I think when the ambassador, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations showed up wearing the yellow star. Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a little bit too much. I mean, the idea that the people who are right now Uh, ethnically cleansing a population or the victims is pretty laughable. I mean, it's such a disgusting, um, uh, sacrilegious mockery of the Holocaust. I think that it's a little bit too much. Or when you have uh, Netanyahu saying that an ICC investigation of Israel is undiluted anti-Semitism. I mean, they don't have to provide any evidence whatsoever. It's just definitionally, if something is done to Israel, it's anti-Semitic. And again going back to the question of like Biden's statements and the the idea that conflating zionism and Jewish identity is so dangerous like the last thing I want is for people to think that what Israel is doing represents me and that's what Israel wants the world to think that they're doing this in the name of all Jews. I mean, what it will create more anti-Semitism than the world seeing these acts of genocide and ethnic cleansing and thinking that Jews are doing that as opposed to Zionists doing it right,
0: right. right. Yeah. and it's you know what? It's the logical endpoint of vapid identity politics for the state of Israel to say we are defined as victims in perpetuity because of the Holocaust. And guess what? Historically, this is always how the worst atrocities are done. You need people to feel like we are forever the victim in order to justify and rationalize lashing out in such a horrible way. It's not like even the Nazis had their, oh, my God, the Treaty right. of Versailles. Oh, Versailles, my God, we're yeah, in so exactly. much debt, we can't pay it back. We're, you know, it's those the Jews have yeah. their Buddha on our neck, and we need to fight right. back to defend ourselves. It's always framed in this context of we are defending ourselves. Right, we're but the under numbers, mm-hmm. But the numbers right, exactly. disprove that, and we were discussing show earlier, but we actually have the numbers on this. According to Israel's own numbers, Hamas killed 55% military targets, 45% innocent civilians even according to the best numbers for Israel, which are not true because they count every military-age male as a combatant with these numbers, but they killed 61% innocent Palestinian civilians. The real number is about 95%, but they say 61%. So even when they put their best foot forward, they're killing a higher percentage, and as a raw number, more civilians than Hamas did.
3: Yeah, and they're supposed to be the most moral army in the world. I mean, this is so ridiculous. And there's no um, country... Well, it's complicated to even say it, right? Because they weren't a country before, but there's no... Israel went from being founded by, I mean, Israel's founding post-Holocaust means that they incorporated the Holocaust as a justification into their existence. But at the same time, they had a lot of weird shame about the Holocaust. That's a whole other discussion. But they now are an extremely powerful country with uh, the allyship and support uh, justification, legitimization, financial backing, military backing, aid of the most powerful country in the world. So the idea that they're the victims is so disgusting and so obviously untrue. And I think what's scary is that you have some people who are cynical and they're just Zionist ideologues and they know that Israel's not a victim. But then you have other people who I think are good faith but don't really get it. And there's so much fear-mongering about uh, what it means to be a Jew. And there's so much fear-mongering implying that you need Israel to keep you safe. And I don't think Israel keeps me safe at all. I think Israel makes it more dangerous to be a Jew.
1: Katie, what do you make of there was this new ADL report that says there were more than 2,000 anti Semitic incidents reported in the US since October 7th? That it's a 337% increase. Um, How are you? What are
3: you? Look
0: at the methodology of that. Well, yeah.
1: I mean, this is an
3: organization, a lobbying group that has declared Jewish Voice for Peace as a hate group. So you have to take those numbers with uh, many, many grains of salt and know that many allegedly anti-Semitic acts are not anti-Semitic, they're anti-Zionist, and they're even ones done by Jewish organizations, allegedly hate groups like Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, You know, the ADL, there is leaked audio where Jonathan Greenblatt, the head of the ADL, is freaking out about Israel's TikTok problem, not getting <laughs> that people just actually side with palestinians because they see what is happening to them and he says uh he talks about the the like uh talking points of organizations like jewish voice for peace being like coming from iran (laughs) and he says we know this because we have analysts uh, because our analysts are in those groups so they're also infiltrating we now know i mean it's no surprise but people should be careful yeah because they're infiltrating groups like Jewish Voice for Peace and uh, Students for Justice in Palestine. But it's just a uh, disgusting. And, and again, these people don't care about anti Semitism. They really don't. Look at how Netanyahu cozies up to right wing uh, white nationalist adjacent uh, governments in Hungary and Poland. I mean, he was, it was so awkward. He was in Poland when po- Poland passed this law that you couldn't. Uh, say that Poland collaborated in the Holocaust because they were victims too. I mean, and this this formed a split in Israel because Netanyahu couldn't say anything because he's like a cuck for the Polish government. But other people in Israel, I, there was a foreign minister, I believe, who was like the Poles are, were like fed anti-Semitism with their breast milk or something like that. But again, this is a person who doesn't care about keeping Jews safe uh, he certainly, I mean, we obviously know that ben Netanyahu couldn't care less about, uh, about Palestinians, but he also doesn't care about the, the Israeli hostages. I mean, he was yeah. bombing places where they probably were. If he cared about the Israeli hostages, he would have had a ceasefire so that they could at least exchange these people. But this is a nationalist, ethno-nationalist project. That's what this is. This is not about the safety of Jews. This is about a political ideology, which, by the way, requires anti-Semitism. Zionists don't really have a plan for battling anti-Semitism because they need it to justify its existence. Mm. They just want to kill a bunch of people. That's really what they want to do. And it's really disgusting.
1: Just one note uh, on that. ADL report. I'm just looking at some of the details. By far the largest category of quote unquote anti Semitic incident that they track here is nine hundred and five rallies, including anti Semitic rhetoric, expressions of support for terrorism against the state of Israel and or anti Zionism. That's their definition. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's it's absurd. So this all feeds into what we just saw recently. You had the heads of all of these universities being grilled in these congressional hearings. Um, and basically the idea was, you know, how do you respond to the massive increase of anti-Semitism on college campuses? And the viral moment was Elise uh, Stefanik grilling one of them and uh talking about what if uh they say they want to genocide the jews would that violate your policies and the reaction from the heads of these universities was like well it absolutely would if it translates into action if it translates into harassment campaigns for example which is the exact right answer correct but they right. Ex- yeah. but they went after her relentlessly and by the way i think the most important point here is there are no chants on college campuses or protests on college campuses where they're saying genocide the Jews or right. kill the That's not happening. What's happening right. is pro-Palestinian groups are going out there and saying from the river to the sea or they're going out there and they're saying intifada. And that is being twisted as, oh, you're calling exactly. for the genocide of all Jews. But when you ask those people what they mean, what they mean is we want a one state solution, democratic rights for all. That's what we exactly. want. Yeah, and they're twisting it. It's gross.
3: Yeah, it's disgusting. So intifada means shaking off, and the first intifada was especially nonviolent, and there were strikes. And then they, of course, as they do, as Israel likes to do, we saw this with the march of the uh, the great march of return in two thousand eighteen. There was a nonviolent march, and Israel Israeli snipers uh, picked off and killed children, uh, medics members of the press, all the protected uh, classes of people uh, they just mowed people down. So that's another thing that we have to bear in mind there's tons of nonviolent resistance on the part of Palestinians and it's met with uh, vicious uh, violence and killing and maiming. But um, I think that you know what what we need to remember is that when you conflate anti-Semitism with anti-zionism you're not just making Jews less safe. Because you're suggesting that all Jews are this monolith loyal to Israel and suggesting that they all support these vicious, vile crimes against humanity, you're also downplaying anti Semitism. It's like the boy who cried wolf. People are just gonna get used to dismissing claims of anti Semitism when they see that it's allegedly anti-Semitic to go to a Jewish Voice for Peace rally. And when there's actual anti-Semitism, we're not gonna have the backup that we need because people aren't going to take it seriously. But again, these people don't care about that because they don't care about keeping Jews safe. They care about their political project. And you know, there's a lawsuit now that Penn, uh, that's being filed against Penn. And this is a perfect example. It shows tons of examples of uh, how how alleged anti-Semitism is not anti-Semitism. These these uh, alleged this alleged increase in anti-Semitism is not that. So this lawsuit alleges that um, Penn has transformed itself into an incubation lab for virulent anti-Jewish hatred, harassment, and discrimination. And it's a suit brought by two students, and it seeks substantial damages in an amount to be determined at trial. So, what are some of the examples of, uh, of 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 this alleged anti-Semitism? Well, here here are some. So, this is quoting directly from the complaint. Okay, um, the pro- protesters chanted false and genocidal anti-Semitic slogans such as "There is only one solution: Intifada Revolution. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Intifada, Intifada, and Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. So, it's genocidal to call out <laughs> genocide. Okay, that's uh... one example. That's one example, right? Here's another one. I'll only give a few because it trigger warning and we'd be here and throwing up all day if I'd read them all. But <laughs> Penn student-run newspaper ran an article not only accusing Israel of institutionalized racism and apartheid, but vilifying the Penn Jewish community as well, claiming that for many Jewish students, quote, the presentation of facts regarding oppression and state-sponsored violence can be hard to swallow. That's a vilification saying that something can be hard to swallow? Okay, another example, Israeli Apartheid Week is an annual program organized by anti-Israel activists in, a, in cities across the globe focused on support for the boycott divestment sanctions movement and vociferous slander of Israel as ra- a racist apartheid state. So again, imagine white people complaining about, like South African whites complaining about protests of apartheid, protests against apartheid. Oh, poor us, we're being persecuted. We're being called racist, how unfair. Or what about white nationalists? They could say the same thing, that the people who are calling them out for their racism, they're the ones who are being genocidal. It's, It's so ridiculous. Another example, Penn Center and Program in Gender Sexuality and Women's Studies signed a statement asserting that Israel was engaging in ethnic cleansing and ethno-nationalist violence against the Palestinian people. I mean, these are just things that are clearly true and they don't want you to be able to state the truth. And they, this is great because if they say the truth They're basically rendering the truth anti-Semitic. It's a great way to cover up reality. They
0: they don't want to engage on the substance. They want to shut down debate. And of course, the irony is this was the accusation against the left that, oh, my God, you guys bring up, you know, you say misogynist, you say transphobic, you say racist, you say bigot like that to shut down debate and not have a discussion. And now all those same people who made those arguments are immediately like anti-Semitism. They renamed the couscous in the cafeteria. (laughs) Right. Favorite. wasn't even true. I know uh, yeah. it wasn't it true. even true. That's right.
1: My favorite but is what violence. What violence? Uh, um, Palantir, which is like some like CIA supplying tech company or something like that. Yeah. They issued a thing like, "Oh, we're going to have 180 slots for Jewish, um, for hiring Jewish people who have suffered from anti-Semitism." So, out and out quota. Not even affirmative action. Just an out and out quota. These 180 slots are for uh, Jewish people. And Ben Shapiro immediately chimes in. Love this. I
0: love affirmative action. love this. It is awesome. It is, awesome is for me. Affirmative
3: action. It's well, out I'm out quotos. <laughs> I demand that they change their name from Palantir because it starts with P A L and that's anti Semitism. I, I, I can imagine
1: you feel unsafe by <laughs> I that. I feel unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> you should, <laughs> yeah. You should see yeah. them. They should call it Is Rentier. Is Yeah. <laughs> Katie, did you see this um, viral video of this woman who's married to Jason Furman? who is a former Obama administration yes. official. And also he's, he's still very prominent, very visible, engaged in a lot of like econ debates and is usually wrong. But anyway, his wife allegedly got out of her car and most of this is on video and starts right. stalking this Harvard student who's wearing the keffiyeh, which is associated with like Palestinian resistance and accuses her of wearing a terrorist scarf and making people yes. unsafe. Um, what were your thoughts on that video I mean, and what it is indicative it, of? It's
3: ridiculous, and I'm looking and it, just imagine if a um, Muslim American uh, person married to a prominent person called a Jewish person walking down the street at, uh, wearing a Star of David. Let's say, accuse them of wearing a terrorist symbol. I mean. Right it would be front page news. But you know, it's funny, because I actually just saw that uh, I w- a tweet from this woman, Eve Gerber, where she's a- apologizing. She says, on 1014, after I overheard chance, I found disturbing at a rally near my home. I spoke with a person on my block who I thought had come from that event. When the political argument escalated, I used indefensible words. I was wrong to confront someone based on their dress and to use divisive accusatory language. In the two months since the video, I've tried to learn more and take reparative action. I will continue to do so. Hate and inhumanity in any form are abhorrent to me. I deeply regret what I said and did." Okay, do you understand what she's still saying? And by the way, she she chased, I mean, she was walking, she was like stalking her on the street. It was intimidating. She wasn't just yelling it. But she's still hiding behind the fact that she would have been justified had this woman been at a rally which i guess she wasn't she was just wearing a kafia. but implicit in this apology is the claim that had that woman been at the rally and it been chanting right. indefensible words like from the river to the sea palestine will be free or intifada that she would have been justified in doing this this is not an apology what repara- reparative action is she doing she's just perpetuating the islamophobic trope of palestinian national liberation prize for palestinian equal rights, not even national liberation, but just equal rights for Palestinians is genocidal rhetoric or offensive rhetoric or rhetoric that is worse, worthy of being condemned and being called terrorist rhetoric. So this is the most unreparative response imaginable.
1: It's also In- the second time we had an Obama-affiliated yes. person well, caught well, on camera. Well, luckily for this
3: woman, that guy was such a sociopath, she looks like a saint, because that guy In just like such a weird creep. Crew. Yeah. <laughs> Not and, that this is okay, what she said.
0: So this really reminds me, we're really in that post-9-11 uh, brain worms, hysteria type sentiment era right now. Because I was reminded when you brought up the scarf story, in 2008, Rachel Ray did a Dunkin' Donuts commercial.
3: I remember this, yeah.
0: And she was wearing a scarf that looked oh, like the it. Palestinian scarf. Oh my God. And people <laughs> went nuts and they were like, she's supporting terrorists and then they had to like, I don't know if it was Rachel Ray or Dunkin' Donuts or they had to come out and be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's not what we meant by it.
1: It was
3: Paisley. It was Paisley, yeah.
1: Did, didn't that just happen with, there was yes. some, uh, who was it? Air, who air, put out, uh, you, you, the airplane? Put out an Instagram post and said something about like, I really want to go hang gliding. Yes. She happened to be wearing like red and glue. Oh, in that's the right. It
0: was uh, uh, not Alicia Keys. Oh, Wasn't who was it? it? Oh. Who was it? I'm blanking These on are it. the
1: early days, but there was a whole, like, this is secret signaling for pro-terrorists, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like, the, wow. The, I covered that, too. I'm just forgetting who it was. They mind. also accused um, some airline of having kafia scarves. Alicia
0: oh, like, like Keys. They were
1: scar- it was Alicia
0: Keys. It was Alicia Keys. It was, was like, right. the
1: most, like, milk toast liberal ever, too.
3: Yeah, way. but there were also uh, <laughs> scarves that had planes on them that they they alleged, like, United Airlines was uh, employees were wearing kafia's. Like, that would
1: ever happen.
0: Oh. Yeah, <laughs> United wish. Airlines... Dr- big supporters Corporate of Hamas over there yeah. Yeah.
1: Just yeah, loves the Palestinian cause they're always yeah. showing up for Palestine it's, I know uh, isn't it's, that like they would give their, their
3: employees coordinated scarves yeah <laughs> <So> <laughs> what ridiculous. Do you make,
1: Katie and what how would you respond to someone who said to you well does Israel have the right to exist
3: yeah you know the other day I actually kind of like for the first time tweeted out I I I was really upset, now I'm not saying this because I don't uh, in, still endorse my the thing I stated, but you know, after Israel um, assassinated in a targeted assassination and and Crystal, you did a great uh, monologue on this, but after they murdered Rafat al the poet and translator and professor and mentor for so many, and I actually this week on the Katie Halper Show interviewed um, some of his uh, colleagues at Electronic and Defada and also a student of mm. his and we're doing another interview on useful idiots with some of his former mentees but when they did that i tweeted israel does not have the right to exist and the truth is i don't think it has the right to exist i don't think any state has the right to exist no country has the right to exist people have have rights not nations and you know it's actually pretty brilliant how they managed to imp- like transfer their their victimhood onto not just the people of Israel, but the nation of Israel. And I don't even realize until a friend pointed out to me a couple of years ago, like, no, of course, Israel doesn't have the right to exist. But it's such a compelling um, talking point that you, it sounds like they frame it so that you're, but for being anti-Semitic, how could you possibly not think that they have a right to exist, that, that not have a right to exist? But no, no country has the right to exist. And it certainly doesn't have the right to exist when it's founded on um, ethnic cleansing. Now, then people say, well, what about this country which was founded on ethnic cleansing? And it's true, and what makes Israel somewhat anachronistic is that it claims to be a democracy, and it did the ethnic cleansing more recently, historically speaking, uh, than other nations. But no, it doesn't have the right to exist. And uh, you can't have, as look, as as, uh, Gideon Levy said, the journalist, you can't imprison 2 million Palestinians and not pay a price, Uh, referring to what happened on October 7th, which is something he's condemned um, quite vociferously. But I don't think, you know, it's obviously a lie when Israel says it has the right to defend itself. Yeah, nations have the right to defend themselves and you don't have the right to occupy a people, which is what they do.
0: Yeah, I mean, flipping that question right back, I think, is the best way forward. Does Israel have a right to exist? Does Palestine have a right to exist? Right. Right? Oh, do does Israel have a right to defend itself? Do Palestinians have a right to defend themselves? You know what I mean? Because those people who would bring up that point cannot answer that at all. And it's always like Israel does exist right now. Palestine doesn't exist because Israel right. blocks that from happening. So all this fear mongering about like, well, oh, my God, they would theoretically get Israel to not exist anymore. OK, but it does exist. And Palestine doesn't exist. And you're OK with that set of circumstances. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You, yeah One of the things. Yeah. Go ahead, Katie. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's they what they like to say is Palestine never existed. Uh, well, Israel didn't exist before either. And then it did exist. And Palestine did exist. There was a major national identity. And And because of imperialism, they didn't have their own country. But that's only because of the way that, uh, you know, the Brits and the French split everything up.
0: That's right. And it's such a dodge because it doesn't matter if there was a proper Palestine there. People lived there and they were kicked off their land.
1: Right.
3: So it's immaterial whether
0: or not you called it Palestine or not at the time. It's you kicked people off of their land.
1: You know, and um, yeah in reading more deeply into you know the history and the early history and the the histories of these these people and how they came to be in the region or whatever one of the things that threw me for the the biggest loop and was like the biggest head turner is um the body of scholarship including by David Ben Gurion right. that suggests yeah, yeah. that the Palestinian people are actually the descendants of the ancient Jews the more like tied to the land who didn't leave during, you know, various rounds of uh, expulsion and persecution. That one really threw me for a loop, because when you think about what this project is and who they claim to be and the ties that, you know, claim to bind them to the land, and then it's like, wait, you're telling me the Palestinians may actually be the descendants of the ancient Jews that you claim to be representing? That one really threw me. Right.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. The other interesting thing is how much
1: the um, early
3: Zionist supporters— you know, Christian Zionism is not just a recent phenomenon. It's been around for a while. It predated the uh, the founding of Israel. It wasn't just a kind of you know uh, uh, right wing evangelical thing that we see today, the the, mm. the rapture ready people. Um, and a lot of the people who supported the founding of Israel didn't want did, did that because they didn't want Jews in their countries. These weren't right. These weren't allies of the Jews. They were anti Semites. Another interesting thing is a lot of the early Zionists, you see their rhetoric. They were actually, you know, Zionists like to accuse Jews like me of being self-loathing. The truth is a lot of the early Zionists were quite self-loathing and anti-Semitic. I mean, they say these things. Jabotinsky said disgusting things. Ben-Gurion called Jews uh, parasites. Uh, They would justify violence against Orthodox Jews. So that's a whole other discussion, but it's, it's fascinating. And you know, Another interesting thing is that, speaking of scholarship, you have the new historians, and these were the historians in Israel who rejected the Zionist historiography. But even people like Benny Morris, who's right-wing, he meticulously, unfortunately for him, meticulously documented how Israel was founded through ethnic cleansing in his book, 1948. But of course, the way he reconciles that with his right-wing views is like, yeah, there was ethnic cleansing, and if there had been more, we wouldn't
1: have the problem we have today. Wow. which I at least appreciate his honesty there.
0: You
3: well, know. that
1: is one of the things, uh, something Daryl Cooper says as well, that, um, throughout the history of Zionism and since the founding of the Israeli state, like it's the right wing that is way more honest, you know, talk to the yes. settlers about what they're yes. up to. They're not going to mince words. They're not going to pretend for an English speaking audience or whatever. It's like, we're doing this, so there is never ever a Palestinian state. And b- oh, by the way, we don't just want uh, Judea and Samaria, as they call it. We want even more land beyond it. And here's here's our mission. Whereas, you know, Netanyahu, he can when he's speaking English to an audience, yeah. he presents things one way. When he's speaking Hebrew to you know his domestic constituency, it may be a very different message. There's yeah. a lot more sort of artfulness to it. But yeah, if yeah, you he ask... talks about Amalek. He talks about well, Amalek, exactly right. which which like
3: yeah. right, requires that you slay every man, woman, child, suckling. Livestock. I mean, he he absolutely forecasts the genocide. Of course, he does that in in Hebrew. He's not going to do it in English. But it's just they they you know I had Craig MacIber on my show who uh quit his who resigned from the UN over its failure to protect Palestinians. And the one one of the things he said is that usually when you're trying to make the case for genocide, you have to go into the archives and try to find these documents or hidden communiques. Mm. to find that there was the intent. But Israel mm-hmm. is so used to impunity that it just has laid out the intent, mostly in Hebrew, but you also have the president of Israel saying this rhetoric about civilians. It's not true. They have they could have risen up against this population, basically saying there are no civilians. Everyone's a legitimate target because they voted in Hamas at one point, you know, in 2006, by now, a bit of a while ago. Not First of all, it's a ridiculous argument. And if you wanna make that argument, then all Israelis are are legitimate targets for Hamas because they voted for uh, Likud, they voted in in Netanyahu. But even accepting the logic of that, well, unfortunately, half of the population of Gaza are children who obviously didn't vote for Hamas. So how acceptable is the collateral damage? I mean, again, this is a, a, a grotesque argument, but I'm just showing that even within their argument it's even more inhumane than their already inhumane argument which is that yeah it's okay for us to kill a bunch of kids in addition to killing people for the I didn't know that that voting for the wrong party was a punishable by death
1: okay. but
0: that's
3: what
1: they're saying it is yeah
0: what's We're your a sense, tweet
1: in the case of Rafat
0: what's your sense are there yeah. any actual red lines where the US will finally pull the ripcord and be like, sorry, because now they're talking about, what is it by early January? You guys got to wrap it up. That was one of the things they said, but every like two or three days, it's now happened like seven or eight different times where Blinken or Biden will come out and be like, Israel, come on now. We need to be more targeted. You need to protect the civilians. And obviously from our perspective, it's just PR ass covering because there's a green light behind the scenes, which is why they keep doing what they're doing. And so do you get the sense that there's any actual red line or moment where biden and and the u.s will be like okay you know what too much international pressure too much domestic pressure what are we gonna do we gotta wrap it up here
3: i i honestly don't know maybe if they really try to rope in iran
2: maybe Mm. then
3: the u.s will be like okay that's a little bit too much but i could also see them honestly co-signing everything i wouldn't be surprised if that happened and that's absolutely it's truly terrifying but, totally. you know, throughout history, we've had these almost moments. We had the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, I think that we don't know what could happen. I think that, you know, it's so disgusting. And and it's really important for people to remember that if Biden wanted to, he could
1: end this war within days with the phone call. Yep. That's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, Katie, tell people where they can check out your film when it comes out and where else they should look for your work.
3: Oh, great. Yeah. So it'll be uh, if you go to com. You can actually sign up. Uh, I won't I won't spam you, but that way we'll notify you as soon as the film is ready. And um, it'll be on Vimeo, definitely. It'll probably be a couple other places. but uh, make sure you just go to comiccampfilm.com. We'll be making we'll be letting you know when and where you can see it. And you can also watch me Tuesdays live at youtube.com/ the Katie Helper Show. Subscribe there. I release clips every day. You can find me on Twitter at Helps. that's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. I also co-host uh, Useful Idiots, which you can find, uh, usefulidiotspodcast.com. And yeah, check out the interviews I've been doing. I've been basically since October 7th, every show I've done has focused on Palestine. And uh, I think you'll enjoy the film. The kids are really cute. It's pretty inspiring. It's gotten great blurbs. Uh Susan Sarandon blurbed it, Gerald Horn blurbed it, Medea Benjamin, uh, Oscar nominated
1: screenwriter Josh Olson. So, yeah, all those people can't be wrong. There's also lots of cute pictures of Katie when she's a kid. So, (laughs) watch for that if nothing else. Um, I want to say, Katie, you've been a really, really important voice of moral clarity during this time. And um, you know, please, guys, go and follow her on Twitter and um, check out her show because you really have been doing fantastic work, and I'm very grateful for it.
2: Thank you, Katie. thank you,
1: thanks so much. And rest in power, Rafat
3: Alarir, whose only crime was writing poetry and mocking um, propaganda that is used to justify the genocide of his people. And I'm so sorry to his wife and six students and his countless mentees.
0: Yeah, it's from your lips to God's ears.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Israel has
3: so much blood on its hands, but this is just a particularly egregious example of it. Yeah,
1: and by extension, so do we. Yes,
3: exactly.
1: Thank you so much. It's so great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, you guys too.
0: All right, so that was Katie Halper. Um, I feel like I live in bizarro world where a couple of years ago, it was all the conservatives, Mm -hmm. I believe in freedom of speech. It's all I care about. Mm -hmm. And then now- Like, you know, you see it. Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. Censor them! Censor them!
1: Absolutely incredible. And that's, like, maddening and crazy-making. Not that it's a surprise, but it's still crazy-making to watch how quickly they turned. But the part of it that drives me even more insane is, like, you are centering our national conversation around a theoretical chant that didn't even happen in favor of genocide when there is an actual genocide unfolding
0: they're funding it they're funding it like, they're arming it they
1: go directly from you know that hearing where they're like denounce genocide and if this happened on college campus theoretically maybe what would you say what would you do and then they'll turn right around and then vote for the bill that is actually like creating the genocide and it's like well, how, how do people not see the gigantic distraction machine that this is and just how dishonest the whole situation is?
0: They literally passed a resolution to, like, condemn the heads of the university for giving their absolutely correct answers
1: in favor of in the
0: hearing. Speech. Something yeah. that
1: Republicans have been demanding that they take a yeah. stance in favor of free speech. And then and they, they do, actually it. do no, it. No, and not like, like that. How not could like you? that. How could, and, oh, and all this panic attack over, like, we were offended by the SNL skits portrayal of Elise Stefanik. Did you follow uh, all of that as well? I saw. It's just it makes me so crazy watching it all and just how blatant it is because the images that are coming out and the reality of what's happening is thoroughly indefensible. I don't care how good your Haspara is. I don't care if you're, you know, the best IDF spokesperson or most talented um, sophist in all of the United States Congress. You cannot justify what's happening. So instead of that, they just distract, distract, distract.
0: It actually scares me how how scary well a lot of propaganda works, because when you look at this thing as objective as humanly possible, there is only one conclusion: this has to stop this has to stop now, all of this killing, innocent children, women, Gaza being leveled over fifty percent of the buildings totally destroyed. you look at that that is the that's what's screaming at you, yeah, but then you see like the debate and the discussion domestically here in the u s. And they're talking about mean kids on college campuses and they're still going, the, you know, the old trick is ignore the past month and a half, two months. Let's only talk about October 7th. You know what I mean? And it's like the way that the conversation can be steered. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm, ai feel like I live in like the twilight zone or something yeah. where it's like, and then you look at polling and it's like, yeah, the younger generation has caught on and Get is it. like, this is bullshit. But you look at the older generations and, you know, you have a situation where it's like over 50 percent of the country is like, OK, with Israel's reaction. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like what? I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that I people know. can be controlled to this extent. You know what I mean?
1: It reminds me of I don't know if you read Lee Fong did a big report on like some of the behind the scenes um Involvement between the Israeli government and some of the like tech executives and billionaires and other like lower level people, these like WhatsApp groups that are organizing behind the scenes, some of these cancellation campaigns and some of the like combating uh, combative approaches on Twitter. And they did this uh, training for how to persuade people and how to steer the conversation. And they talked about three categories of people for whom outreach rather than attacks is the best strategy. And I'm reading from from Lee now. He said the first group is what they dubbed the impressionables. Typically, young people reflexively support the weak, oppose the oppressor, but are not really knowledgeable for this category. Of people, the goal is not to convince them of anything, but to show them it's complicated and see doubt. How much do you see, oh, it's complicated, it's nuanced, it's difficult. And it's like, no, actually, it's not nuanced. Right in this moment, it is not.
0: And for those people, oh, Israelis are indigenous to the region. That's another right. one they, yes. they say. Like, oh, uh, no, they are indigenous. Oh,
1: well, let me get you. That's actually the next approach. Oh, okay, okay. Second category is the uncomfortable sympathizer, a group that wants to support Israel, typically more liberal, but opposes the current government led by Netanyahu. These types can be won over by pointing out we're a multi-ethnic, diverse, democratic, liberal society with the rotten apples. So that's your indigenous thing. Mm-hmm. That's the rainbow Israeli flag that I've seen, that propaganda. The final group is those who are, they describe as reflexively pro-Israel, kind of Israel right or wrong. Members of this group, they say, are not actually very knowledgeable, so they need to be equipped Uh, with the right facts to uh, make them more effective in advocating for Israel. So it's just funny because to see it laid out like that is like, yes, I see this strategy deployed all the time on Twitter, all the time on cable news, relentlessly. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like this organizing is happening behind the scenes aggressively.
0: And it's the classic thing of like, who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people go, I'll believe you over my lying eyes. Yeah. Because they're not really subject to seeing the same things that we see on a daily basis. That's right. You know, you get a very skewed version on CNN. They'll have their moments where they do good. But most of the time it's like very skewed and you don't really get a full understanding of the, the, totality of the absolute destruction and barbarism and insanity that's happening.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: All right, guys. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. Everybody, please do me a big favor. Go sign up on Substack. Uh you could do it in the video description box below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you pay five bucks a month, you get the video of every show and you get it a day early. Everybody else could sign up for free on Substack and you get the audio uh podcast version and you get that a day later. Remember We've never had a conversation with any advertiser. We've never done any sort of ad read or anything like that. We're very proud of that fact, but that means that we're totally reliant on you with $5 donations every month. So please consider doing it if you like the show. And that's all we got for you guys. We love you, and we will talk to you soon.